everyone. It uh, does our hearts good, really, to see all of you. You're in our hearts, and uh, I know we've been away for about half a year, but we remember uh, most of you fondly. So, uh, <laughs> uh, no, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for for having me, and again, thank you, John, for the for the honor to come and, and preach. Um, well, we're going to pick up where we left off, uh, John 13. We were working through John's gospel. We got all the way up to John chapter 12. We said that uh, John 12 was a nice place to leave it because we're going into the upper room. And uh, so why don't we just do John 13, a little section there, um, and see what God has for us then this morning. Uh, John 13 to chapter 17, uh, personally speaking, are, are the most, for me, after the Sermon on the Mount, John 13 to 17 is the most beautiful chapters in, in all of Scripture. Um, and really since, since personal biography, since 2015, these chapters have reformed my whole understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, I've been a Christian since 2007, but 2015, reading and meditating on John 13 to 17, just total change. What does it look like to, to follow Jesus uh, and, and to claim to be one of his followers. So I'd love to preach John 13 to 17, but we don't really have time for that. So we'll just preach John 13, verse 1 to verse 20. And uh, my, the, the pastor I, I work with up now in Stoke, he calls John 13 to 17, Jesus setting the culture of the church. Jesus sets the culture of the church. He, John 13 to 17, Jesus is gathering the, the followers, the ones who are going to be the leaders of the church after he ascends and leaves. And he's telling them, this is what I want my church to look like. This is what I've been doing on earth. And this is what I've been teaching you guys. And this is how I want it to continue after I'm gone. So John 13 to 17, Jesus sets the culture of the church. In other words, how the church is meant to live and function and treat each other uh, not just on Sundays, but, but throughout the week as well. No, I'm, I'm definitely not saying that these chapters are easy to follow. Uh, I'll be the first to admit that I cannot follow John 13 to 17 in my own strength. I get it wrong all of the time. But if someone is to truly live out what they read in these four chapters, if you were to get these four chapters and live these out by the Holy Spirit working in you, then you'll truly be living out what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. John 13 to 17. So, a few months ago, the police pulled me over <laughs> in, uh, in Stone, uh, which is a small town not far from um, the city of Stoke, and um, typical Northern Irish, you know, getting pulled over by the police. Um, so, Stone, the whole of Stone, this town, is a one-way system, and this is my first time in Stone. And uh, we tried to park, but it was all blue badge parking, so we can't park there. So I reverse out, and I start driving back the way I'd come. Yeah. And uh, everybody is telling me, that's not what you do. <laughs> so I've got flashing cars, we've got horns, we've got people on the side shouting, no, no. I'm like, what's up with everybody? And I, I'm like, okay. So, I, you know, the, the Alan Camel driving style, slip it into reverse, and just reverse as fast as I can, all the way back up the one-way system again. And... Uh, flip around the car and start to drive off police sirens, you know? I'm like, oh no, I'm, I'm busted, you know? Um, so he comes over and, uh, everything okay? I'm like, yeah, sorry. First time in Stone, so sorry. Um, didn't know the one-way system. And he says, oh, that's okay. Can I just take your name? Uh, can I just, where, where are you from? And he's getting all the questions. And uh, I says, oh, it's just, um, we're just out 
to go to a restaurant with my wife's in the car and he looks down and he goes, I up duck. And Victoria's like, hello. And, uh, and then afterwards he said, uh, he said, you can go on. I'm like, I'm just really sorry. He goes, it's okay, it's all right. It's, these things happen. Uh, thank you for being so kind. And I, and I that, was the, that was not what I was expecting, right? I was expecting him to pull me over. How dare you? Who do you think? What do you think you're playing at? And to have a policeman with this, you know, I have authority in this town of stone and, and to, to give that to me. And uh, instead, he was just so kind, and he was so humble, and he was so gentle, and he called Victoria Duck, which is not a, an offensive word up there. And um, it was just like, that was really memorable, that he had authority, but he didn't exercise it in, a, in an ugly way. He was meek. And uh, I was talking to, to Marilyn and, and Dave yesterday, and they were talking about the Marilyn's foot surgeon, and how he's, he's a really top guy. He's like a chief guy and like people follow him around all day in the hospital like he's he's top bloke and he could be ordering everyone around if he wanted to and uh, instead when he walks into the room to to take care of Marilyn he gets down on his on his on his knees and he's just gentle and he's just kind and he's he's not saying uh, big words to impress he's saying simple words to to make them understand and I saw Chris Stevens yesterday and he has the same guy and he was saying he's just so kind he's so gentle he's so compassionate just the way he talks it's and, and it just got me thinking, you know, and I, was, I knew I was going to preach here. And it's so impressive when, when you see someone uh, who has power and who has authority, but he, who's, who uses it to be humble, who uses it to be gentle, and who's kind. And that's, mem- that's more memorable than someone who's impressive walking into the room and, you know, and ordering and, and, and showing off his authority, showing off his power. Instead, it's someone who has that power but he, he exercises it for the good of others. And I thought, that's, that's just like my Savior. It's just like Jesus. And so John 13, verse 1 to verse 20. And it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God. We'll just pause there for a few moments. Verse 1 to the first 3, Jesus knows. There's a few things here that, that Jesus knows. It's coming up to the, the third Passover feast of the book of John. And at verse 1 to 3 serves as almost like a little commentary before the action. Because this is being recorded uh, by, by John. And I want you to imagine the author John, he's writing this Gospel of John like 50 years or 40 years after the events here. And uh, he writes, having loved his own, he loved him to the end. He just writes that down. Like, you know, he, he didn't write that in the moment. He didn't write that as he's getting his feet washed. He writes that 50 years later and he thinks, on the night of the Passover, we're sitting there. And I was loved by Jesus that day. He loved me. And, and, he, and to the end doesn't mean this Passover feast. He, and he loved me all the way until the next day. And he loved me all the way to the cross. And he loved me all the way to the resurrection. And he loved me all the way to now. He loved me all the way to the end. And John says, like 50 years later, this, this washing of the feet moment. And what he knew was going to come for Jesus. It just smashes him again. He says, he loved me all the way to the end. And so it says in verse 1 that Jesus knows his hour had come. 
There's three things that we're going to look at Jesus knowing in verse 1 to 3. He knows the hour. Uh, This is one of the themes, if you remember, from months and months ago. We traced this through in John's Gospel. The hour was coming, and my hour has not come. And now the hour is here. And we saw uh, previously in John 12 that the hour was the hour of his glory. The hour that he'd be glorified. And how would Jesus be glorified? He would be glorified through fulfilling Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, wouldn't he? Through his torturous uh, experience with the soldiers, through the mockery, the agonizing death, the glorious resurrection, and then the ascension. This would be Jesus' hour, his, his glory. Uh, the, the, the hour of him drawing the nations to himself after having drawn all judgment to himself as well. Now, just question, what would be on your mind? What would be on your mind if, if like eight hours from this experience, you're going to be betray- you know you're going to be betrayed by one of the men you spent three years. Three years, that's how long I spent with you guys. Could you imagine that I knew somehow that tomorrow Quest is going to betray me utterly? And a bunch of you are going to, not that I'm Jesus or anything, but I'm going to be betrayed by, by you guys. And, and you are all going to deny me that you ever knew me. You're my friend. And I knew these things were happening. And I knew it was going to come. And I knew all the agony that was coming. And I knew all the torture. And I knew the, the weight of sin would come upon me. I, I knew that I would cry out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? What would be on your mind, right? Feasting, I mean, I have a, I'm having a tooth pulled uh, next Wednesday, again, the tooth pulled out. I guarantee on Tuesday evening, you guys won't be on my mind, <laughs> right? Victoria probably won't be on my mind on Tuesday evening, right? Because a selfish sinner like me, right? Um, in my flesh, I'll be on my mind. And what, what's coming tomorrow is going to be on my mind, right? So Jesus knows the hour. And in verse 1, again, it says, Jesus loves his own until the end. Jesus knows his own. He loved them up until the end. Now just think about who these people are that Jesus loves. Simon Peter, foot in mouth Simon Peter. John MacArthur says that Simon Peter was the disciple with a a foot-shaped mouth because he was just always saying the wrong thing. And uh, he had his foot out long enough in this experience for it to be washed by Jesus. But this is the same uh, guy that Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. This is the same guy who Jesus knows in just a few hours' time he's going to deny he ever knew me. And he loved him until the end. Here in this little group of people is James and John, these selfish men, James and John, who jostled for power, didn't they? I mean, Jesus, three times, he's like, I'm going to die. The Gentiles are going to kill me. And then James and John says, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, can we sit beside you when you come into your kingdom? And they just don't care. They, they're not hearing. They're just so full of themselves at this point. And Jesus loves them until the end. These are the same disciples. He cries, All right, where is your faith? Oh, you of little faith. And he loved them up until the end. These broken men of, of sin and failure and weakness. He'd spent three years of his life with them. And he loved them right up into this moment and beyond. And that, that fills me with <laughs> just such wonder. Because he loves me until the end. And he knows all of my brokenness and all of my sin and all of my failure and all my weaknesses. And he loves me unto the end as well. He loves me unto the end. So we see that Jesus knows his hour. Jesus knows his own. And then verse 3, skipping verse 2 for now, Jesus knows his deity. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God and was going to God. Jesus knows 
exactly who he is here. He knows he's the Messiah. He knows he's the Son of God. He knows he's the heir of all of creation. He knows that he's soon going to return to the glorious position of the right hand of the Father. And and knowing these things. Knowing, so these three things he knows. He knows he's about to die in agony. He knows this band of broken sinful men around him. And he knows that he is God and worthy of all worship and obedience. Right? So knowing those things, what does he do? Well, then we get to verse 4 to verse 11, where it says that Jesus serves. He rose up from supper, he laid aside his garments, he took a towel, and he girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what am I doing? What, I, what, I'm, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And we'll, we'll, get, we'll get the rest of that in just a little bit. The first thing it says here is he, he sheds his garments. And uh, I remember one time I was in an airport, and uh, well, not name names or places, but I was, on, I was in an airport, and there was a man being questioned by airport security. Um, we were going to a country that has a little bit extra security for it, and he was being questioned. And this is the guy that I knew. And um, the questions are getting a little bit, not, not intense, but, you know, there's special security measures. So you have to ask certain questions to make sure. And at one point I heard this, which I'm sure you've heard in your life. Hopefully none of you have said it. Do you know who I am? Do you even know who I am? How dare you ask me that question? Do you know who I am? You see, this man was a, a judge, right? He was someone with authority, someone with power, someone with influence. And he wanted to use that. He wanted to flaunt that to get his own way. He wanted everyone to know who he was. And he wanted everyone to treat him accordingly. And that's just such the opposite of Jesus of Nazareth, isn't it? Jesus is like, do you know who I am? And like, you're the son of God. You're the rabbi. You're the Messiah. And he says, yes. And then he undresses himself and washes feet with it. And this is so the opposite of, of what humans are like. He, he, instead of demanding to be served, he strips himself of his public garments. And these garments would have marked him as a rabbi as well. And he takes them all off. Some very respectable, respectable commentators even would say that he stripped all the way down to a loincloth. Right, So it says he took off his garments. Some would say that was his outer garments. So he took off the shirt. There's a t-shirt underneath. Some would say he took all the way down to a loincloth. And then wrapped himself in that towel. So he takes the place of a servant. He strips himself down to being a servant. And, and wrapping himself with this, this towel. It would have been a towel that would have covered his waist. And would have had extra for what he was about to do with it. And you just imagine the disciples are like, what, what is happening now? This is, our, this is the Son of God. This is the Messiah. And uh, what is going on? And then it says next, he, he washes their feet. And you, you know this bit. This is the act of the lowest slave. The lowest act a slave could perform was to wash the feet of somebody in, in Israel. The man of a wealthy household would come home and a slave would wash his feet or wash the feet of his guests. If he was well to do, he would have a slave for washing the guest's feet. Sometimes there was 
in a poor home, you would just wash your own feet. <laughs> you'd walk in and you'd have a bucket, you'd wash your feet. But, the, but in Israel, you'd walk into your home and our policy in Britain is shoes, or in, at least in Victoria's home, is shoes off, please. And uh, that's the way it goes. We have, a, we have a Nigerian family in our church and uh, they've just, they're going to buy a, the thing where you, you put your foot inside something and it like wraps, it just wraps it in plastic so you just put both, both shoes in, boom, boom. You wrap them in plastic and you can just toddle around through the day. You don't have to take your shoes off. Um, but back then, they washed feet. They put the feet in the water, they washed them. So that's, that's what you would do in, in, in my poor person's home. In a rich person's home, you'd have a slave that would do that for you. In a very wealthy home, you'd have a slave who would wash you and your guests' feet as well. And of course... This isn't, this isn't shoes and socks, this is open sandals, this is dirt and filth and long walks with blisters and, and all sorts coming on uh, these feet. No one had volunteered to wash anybody's feet <laughs> as they come to this Passover feast. Why not? Because this is a group of men who are jostling for power, isn't it? I want to sit beside Jesus. Right? I'm, I'm sitting beside Christ. I'm sitting beside the Messiah. James and John still plotting how they're going to be the two that will sit close to Jesus when he comes into his kingdom. We're not taking the place of the lowly ones. We want to be the, the respectable ones. We want to be the highest ones. We want to be the ones in the position of power. Jesus had already taught them in Matthew's gospel at this point that the greatest among you should become the servant. If you want to be truly great, serve. And that just went right out the window, didn't it? Threw one ear out the other. Their, their heads were just as thick as ours. And it just bounces right off sometimes. That the, to be great is to serve. And you're like, yeah, yeah, it sounds good. All the way through. Like when Victoria tells me uh, the plans we have for the week. <laughs> I told you that, Alan. The hair goes just gone for these guys. So what happens then is the Lord of heaven and earth gets up, undresses himself, and washes the feet of fishermen and zealots and tax collectors. Jesus, king of the universe, does it for them. So we get to verse 6 to verse 11, and we see Jesus teaching Peter. Peter says, Lord, are you washing my feet? You're the Messiah. You're the promised king. You're the son of God. I mean, John the Baptist had said that he wasn't even worthy to touch the sandal of Jesus' foot. And now you're going to wash my feet? What's going on? This is just mind-blowing things. Peter doesn't fully understand why Jesus has come into the world yet. Peter still doesn't get it. That Jesus has come to serve. He still hasn't broken out of the idea that Jesus is a Messiah leader, a military leader, coming to somehow vanquish Rome. A servant, foot-washing Messiah still doesn't fit into Peter's categories. You're washing my feet? So, of course, Jesus wants to correct all of this. And he says, what I'm doing you don't understand, you'll know after this. Once you realize why I've come. Once the Holy Spirit really highlights for you the reason I'm actually on this earth. Once you see me crucified and risen again. Then you'll understand I came to serve and not to be served. And the whole of salvation is through being served, isn't it? The whole of salvation is, is Jesus serving us. And uh, we just still don't get it. Some religions, it's, it's do, do, do. And, and Christianity is Jesus has come to serve you. He's come to save you. He's come to wash you. And our, our pride won't let that happen. Our pride won't allow us to be served. 
Peter was going to have to understand that it, it wasn't about what he did for Jesus, but about what Jesus has done for him that matters and makes the difference. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, because Jesus had said, if, you don't, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. And, and, and Simon Peter says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And uh, this is Peter, John 6, and uh, everyone leaves Jesus. And Jesus turns around to the disciples and says, are you going to leave too? And he's like, where are we going to go? There's nowhere to go. You, you have the words of eternal life. And I, Jesus just said, if I can't wash you, you have no part in me. And, you know, Peter does have a foot in the mouth experience, but he, he, he loves Jesus and he knows that Jesus is the answer, right? So wash all of me, Jesus. And Jesus tells him in, in verse 10, I've done that already. That's already happened. Uh, this is the, uh, you're, you're already mine. You're already in. You're already one of my sheep. You're already in, Peter. Uh, being born again is an Old Testament truth, not a New Testament one. You're, you're already in. You're one of the sheep that won't be plucked out of my hand already. And he uses this lovely illustration. Someone who's just had a bath and maybe has to go out. He had a bath and then he has to go outside for something. You don't come back in and get another bath. That's a whole waste of time. You just wash your feet in that little bowl at the doorway. And then you're okay. And Jesus is saying, I've already fully washed you. But as you go through this world, you're going to get sin on you. You're going you're to mess up. You don't need to be born again all over again. You don't need to have a full regeneration experience again. It's not, Lord, save me, save me. It's, Lord, I've messed up again. I, I, did, I did something I shouldn't have done. I, I said what I shouldn't have said. I thought what I shouldn't have thought. Wash, wash my hand, wash my feet. And Jesus does. He serves in that way again. I've already made you mine by faith. You don't have to keep running to get back in, Peter. You're already in. You just need your feet washed. I, I, love, I love that. Like, I don't have to keep... Lord, Jesus, please let me back in. He's like, you're in. You're mine. And no matter how shameful the sin, you're in and you're mine. I, I own you. It's all right. I'll wash your feet. I'll wash your feet. But then we get to the, the challenge a bit. Verse 12 to 17. Jesus commands. So Jesus knows. Jesus serves. Jesus teaches. And verse 12 to 17, Jesus commands. So when he'd washed their feet, he'd taken his garments and he sat down again. He said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And skipping down to verse 20, most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. So in verse 12 to 15, Jesus is clothed and he's ba- it says he's back to his place again. That's both physically and also in that deeper level. He's back to being teacher, rabbi, messiah. He's stooped down a servant. Now he's teacher again. And he's back in his places showing them what he's trying to teach them. And he says, you see that I, your master, I've washed you. I've done the bottom of the barrel task. Like the, if you go through the chores, it's like the one that gets unticked, right? Nobody wants to do this one. I've done the bottom of the barrel tasks. And if I'm truly your rabbi, follow me. Follow me. I was talking to a guy who does a lot of um, 
ministry to, to, to Muslims, sharing the gospel with Muslims. And he says he, it's a very, Muslims think that we, as Christians, we receive grace. And we say, thank you so much. Now we can do whatever we want. And what he says is, when they ask him, are you a Christian? He says, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. And Jesus told me that to love him is to keep his commandments. So I, I'm a follower and I'm an obeyer of Jesus. And, it's like, and it, all of a sudden the Muslim has a lot of respect for the Christian. Like, wow, we always thought you just, you just took it and then did nothing. And, uh, but this is Jesus. He says, I've done this. You do this. You wash each other's feet now. And this is 12 men who are looking at each other like, oh man, this is, this is not going to come naturally. I hear so often people wanting to do great things for God. You hear, you hear people say that? We want to do great things for God. Lord, Lord, do great things through me and do great things through this person. I think Jesus is just more interested in all of us doing the little mundane bottom of the barrel things for one another, right? That's what Jesus is interested in. That's the thing he notices. I mean, he notices the woman with the two mites, doesn't he? Lord, all I have is this. And Jesus is like, look at what she gave. Look at that. And he notices this. And it's not necessarily the great things, but washing smelly feet is what Jesus, is what delights the heart of Christ. <laughs> God is, is, when he sees his people washing each other's feet, and we sign, uh, Lord, whatever delights you, let us do it. And he already has made it plain to us what that is. Sign me up for great things, Lord, but don't sign me up for washing feet. Verse 16, it's, he says this in verse 16, if it's beneath, if you think it's beneath you, Simon, if you think it's beneath you to wash James's feet, Nathaniel, if you think it's beneath you to wash John's feet, how much more do you think it's beneath me to do it? And what have I just done? That's what he's saying. In verse, if you think it's beneath you, is it not beneath me? You know who I am. It's beneath me. And yet, I've done it, haven't I? And I love verse 17. You know these things, but blessed or happy are you if you do them. Right? We're, we're so good, and I'm so good at, at collecting theological information. And knowing the commands of Jesus, but, but he says you're blessed if you do them. If you put them into practice. And Paul quoting, blessed are those who, who, who give. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Our flesh doesn't believe that though. Our flesh believes it's great to receive. Our flesh believes it's great to have our feet washed. Or to be served. And Jesus says, oh, if only you could see what the flipped right way up again kingdom is going to look like. When we're all blessed serving and giving to one another. And then we get, skip down to verse 20. And this is what Jesus is saying here in verse 20. We just sang again, Lord, help us to do things for you. Help us to, to show our love to you. And, we, we, and these are great things to sing. But what does it look like to do that? What does that actually look like? And verse 20 gives us a bit of a hint. I say to you, he who receives, whomever I send receives me. If you receive me, you receive the Father. Back to John 5 there, that second bit. But the first bit, Jesus counts the washing of his followers' feet as the washing of his own feet. If I was to wash Cressy's feet this morning, which is not going to happen, Jesus would count that as done to his feet. 
Jesus would count that as done to his. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus says to Paul in, in Acts chapter 9, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute my people? That's not what he said. What did he say? Why do you persecute me? And he says, if you, if you give a glass of water to one of the least, you've given it to, to me. And later in, in Matthew's gospel, and he says, when you, when you visited them, who were you visiting? Me. And when you refused to visit them, who are you refusing to visit? Me. And Jesus counts it all as done to him. And, I, and it's, how do we show God our love? God, we want to show you our love. How? Through loving it, our, the body. Through washing each other's feet. So what are, we, what are we going to do with this information in 2023? Coom down bath. Where John and I have already discussed. And uh, you're going to buy on Amazon a few buckets for coming in. And uh, the deacons, every Sunday morning from this point forward, are going to wash all of your feet. So just be prepared for that. What is this going to look like then for us? Well, of course, Jesus has given us a, a, a cultural experience that's going to apply differently in different cultures, right? We don't have holy kisses here in, in the UK, which is a real shame, uh, but that would look weird. So what we have is warmth and a whole lot of you gave me hugs today. And it's, just a, it's a... That's a holy kiss, biblically speaking, because it's our culture. It's a, a familial sign of affection, right? And that's what, that's what a holy kiss would be back then. So what does it look like for, for this? Well, I just want to give us a few tips, and then, and then we're, we're done off. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, because this is impossible, just so, you, just so you know, this is impossible, loving each other this way. Um, but the Holy Spirit living in us gives us a love for one another that is willing to humble itself to the lowest place. Right? It's the first one. The Holy Spirit living in us gives us a love for one another that is willing to humble itself to the lowest place. Only the Holy... You, you can't do that. The Holy Spirit does that in us. To not walk in to this building or to walk into your family or to walk into school or to walk into work and say, hey everyone, serve me. The Holy Spirit gives us a, a humility to the, to the lowest place. And we follow Jesus by doing that. Second of all, the Spirit gives us a love that is practical. This is really important. It's not just, a, it's not just words, love you, and, and platitudes, hope you're well. Let me know if I can do anything for you. Which basically means, leave me alone now. <laughs> it's a, it's a, when you say to someone, let me know if there's anything I can do, it's like a, it's like a little thing in you, because you feel guilty that you're not doing anything, so it's like, I'm here, but hopefully I don't get a text back, right? And, and instead, it's like thinking, what, what do they need right now? How can I be a blessing to these people? And you can, that can even change from saying, what can I do? Or, or let me know if I can do anything to specifically let me know what you need for me to do right now today. What do you need today? Let me know. Literally, let me know. I'm, I'm coming to your house. I'm not bringing anything with me because I don't know what you need but I'm on my way and I'll just stand there and look at you. So text me as well, tell me what to bring, right? Or anything, just, but, but it's practical. It's not, just, it's not just words, right? Jesus, Jesus preached, but what else did he do? He healed, didn't he? And he fed people and he touched and he blessed kids and, he, and he, was, he put his arms around people and he was practical in his love and he went to a cross and he died. So this, this love rolls its sleeves up. 
This, this love knows what it's like to get its hands dirty. Right? This, is a, this love that the Spirit gives us is a practical love for one another. Not sending you well wishes, but face, I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm with you through this. I weep with you. I rejoice with you through what you're going through. Face to face, practical love. Third of all, the Spirit gives us a love that is sacrificial. Here in John 13, his hands are wet with water, but less than 24 hours later, his, wet, his hands will be wet with blood. Because it's sacrificial love. And it's sacrificial to strip yourself down in front of men and to put on a, a loincloth and start washing feet. And it's sacrificial to be tortured to death. And it's the love that Jesus calls you to, and me to as well. This, this humble, practical, sacrificial love is what, is what the Holy Spirit is enabling in us, and it's what Jesus Christ is calling us to. This love doesn't jostle for power or control. This love doesn't demand its own way. This love doesn't wait to be served by others. This love is humble, practical, and sacrificial. And this love does not describe me. This isn't me. It's not me in my own flesh. It's not you either. But when I repent of my selfishness, my demands, my pride, and my ego, and I fill my heart with meditation of what Jesus has done for me, who he is and what he's done for me, and I plead with him for the strength and desire to be like him, in those moments when the Spirit powerfully works in me, then this love can describe me. Fill my heart with Christ. Repent and fill my heart with Christ. Ask him, please give me the strength and desire to live this way. Then he'll work powerfully in me. And can you imagine what the world would see if they saw a group of men and women doing amazing things like this? Just practical love. Practical. We went, uh, Victoria, at at the church we're at, there was a a lady who's in her 90s. One of her legs isn't there anymore. Uh, I don't know how to say that the right way at the moment, <laughs> in the middle of the sermon. She doesn't have a leg, and uh, she's, she's got a little bit, uh, she's, you know, she's a little bit um, dawdling, and, and she's, but it was her birthday, and her, her, uh, her, she, stay, she lives with her daughter. Her daughter does the beautiful ministry of, of taking care of, of her mom. Beautiful ministry. And uh, it was her birthday, so the church was like, let's go around and we'll just sing happy birthday, and we'll sing a bunch of hymns. And uh, so we did, we, and that, it was, it, we gave up our time, it was very simple to do. We just drove. We sang How Great Thy Art. We sang Happy Birthday. We sang a bunch of things. We sang She's a Jelly Good Fellow. And, um, and like all the neighbors were like, that, that was so beautiful to see that. What was that? What was that? All the neighbors and all the family knew the church came. And the young people turned up. And, and, and it, it was simple. It wasn't even sacrificial, really. It was just simple. And it spoke, we've, uh, it's just really challenging, it spoke volumes to the, to the area. And when we first got to, to, to Stoke, there was this, this family who just moved um, into a new house in the church. We just moved, and then, and then they've just moved, so they helped us. We're like, we'll go help them. And uh, their family were around, and I'm building Ikea furniture on my own, like just building stuff for their home that's, that's getting up. And the, the dads, he's building something else, and we're all just in different rooms. And, and some family members come in, and they're like, who's this? And they're like, oh, that's our pastor. And they're like, your pastor's building Ikea furniture for you? And he's like, yeah. And it was like, just simple. I was like, they phoned, they asked for I was there. And it was so simple. It's not, it was not even sacrificial. But the world looked on and went, this is, this is not what we're used to. 
seeing this. Now, it's not a big deal building IKEA furniture, and it's very normal. But could you imagine if they saw actual humble, actual sacrificial, actual practical love, like what Jesus does? I mean, if the IKEA furniture building and the singing of a song sends waves through communities, imagine if they saw 21st century versions of washing each other's feet. It would be beautiful for the world to see. I skipped over Judas in verse 2, verse 10, and 11, verse 18 to 19. He had no part in this, sadly. He never knew what it meant to love like this. uh, Because even though he was part of this group, he was never truly a follower of Jesus. He was never washed. He was never one of the lambs of Christ. So I'll finish with this. Only a person that's been served by Jesus through salvation can truly serve Jesus' people. And it's only, this is the last bit and then I'm done. It's only as we continue to allow Jesus to serve us, which he wants to do, that then we'll have the strength and desire to serve one another. Fill your heart with Christ and then let that flow out to your service for your brothers and sisters. Amen.